This is episode 9 with Jean-Michel Chelier, founder of high-growth beauty treatment startup Le Salon. Welcome to the Wild Ones with Cam Miller podcast. I'm your host, Cam Miller, and I'm a coach, lifestyle entrepreneur, and founder of what has twice been the UK Babywear brand of the year. For the last few years, I've been supporting people around the globe to reconnect with the wild innate strength within themselves so that they can rapidly realize their goals and build incredible lives. The purpose of the Wild Ones podcast is to connect those creating wild, free, incredible lives and to share the knowledge, tools and skills we need to spend more of our time doing the things we love with the people we love when we like. If you're inspired by this podcast episode, Subscribe to the podcast and head over to cam-miller.com where you can check out and sign up for my free weekly growth guide email. It works hand in hand with the podcast to provide you with a steady stream of motivation, knowledge and practices to fuel and guide your own wild, free, incredible journey through life. In this episode, I'm talking with Jean-Michel Chelier. From a young age, Jean-Michel wanted to be an international businessman just like his father, and he made challenging moves with his bachelor and master studies to realize his aspiration. However, the tedious computer work and grueling hours of his first full-time role as a consultant didn't match his expectations. Seeing entrepreneurship as a better path to realize his international business ambitions, Jean-Michel sought and found an opportunity to serve his fellow consultants and other busy professionals, and Le Salon, London's leading beauty treatment platform, was founded. If you'd like to learn how to start and scale a 10-person, seven-figure business that's returning to pre-COVID levels of 100 to 200% year-on-year growth, like Jean-Michel's Le Salon, then this episode is for you. Jean-Michel, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. No, it's great to have you here. You know, just, uh, I wanted to kick off this interview a little bit differently with a, a little bit of an icebreaker, actually. And I wanted to ask you, who did you want to be when you grew up? Mm, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I, it's, it's, uh, it's actually quite easy for me to answer. <laughs> um, since I was a kid, I wanted to be a businessman. Yeah. Um, and I was always something I was interested in. So um, I think from a very young age, uh, my dad used to work in insurance and I always looked up to my dad. Um, Interesting. And, and I really liked, you know, how he lived. So he was traveling a lot, uh, yeah. meeting a lot of people. I felt like, you know, he was an important man. And I felt that, you know, doing business all over the world um, was a good way to, to do that. Um, so, so I guess, you know, from, from my perspective, that's what I always wanted to do when I was uh, a kid. Um, and was always interested and passionate about business. Yeah, interesting. And so it sounds like, was it with um, your dad's work? Uh, I know from your bio and having, having chatted with you that you speak a number of different languages. You said you grew up in a, uh, a, a multilingual family. Could you talk us a little bit through of, of what it was like growing up um, as a son yeah. of a, an international businessman? <laughs> yeah i mean uh I, I don't know anything else so for me it was pretty normal um i i was born in, in canada so north america and uh i was born to like a vietnamese mom and a french dad 
Um, so growing up, I started by speaking um, Vietnamese with my mom. So my mom spoke to us yeah. and, and we spoke very good Vietnamese. Um, and, and then French came after that, funny enough. Um, I moved to France uh, due to my dad's job. Uh, yeah. when I was four. So the whole family moved to France. You got a very nice opportunity there. Um, and that's where kind of French took kind of over. Um, <laughs> and I, I would be like my, what I consider my mother tongue now is French. Uh, but when I was a kid, I was actually speaking better Vietnamese than French. And I was often asking my mom, uh, uh, when I was trying to speak to my dad, like, oh, how do you say this in French? Um, so, so it's funny how when you grow up, you do that. And then, you know, following that, uh, my dad got like opportunities to work in different places, always with the same company. So he, yeah. we lived in uh, in Germany. We lived in Switzerland. Um, then I did my baccalaureate in France. Yeah, uh, studied the bachelor's there, but then also moved to do some social work in Argentina, which is a country ah, I cool. always wanted to go. Uh, and Spanish is a language I always want to learn. Yeah, and and I, I I'm a deep believer that when you want to learn a language, you should go to a place where they speak that language. That's yep. the best way to do it and immerse yourself in the culture. Um, and then I, I landed in London, uh, which is, I think, you know, when you think about my international background, yep. um, I straight away felt very much at home in London, um, very international, very multicultural. Absolutely. Um, and, and it's almost like it was a very eye-opening for me when I, when I started uh, living in London. Um, cool because I, I didn't know such a place existed <laughs> yeah I think it was it was very much the same for me I, I actually I guess I made the same move from uh, I had two years in Paris before moving to London um, and it was you know it's just that cultural melting pot wasn't it where everybody I think for me it, it really taught me a lot about myself because every culture has its own sort of set of values, ways of doing things, all of this. And, um, and until you kind of get out of that culture, um, you don't see a lot of these things. You don't see that ooh, other people do this differently. Other people think this is more important. Other people, um, you know, uh, look at things a different way. And, you know, seeing all the different viewpoints uh, in London. And obviously, we both uh, share in common the London Business School uh, yes. experience, which is, you know, what we're describing on steroids, where they, they pull kids from all over the world and put them into a, a cultural uh, melting pot or experiment, which was, a, yeah. which was a fantastic experience. So, no, I definitely, you know, I definitely uh, agree with that. And, you know, you talked a little bit about your baccalaureate. Um, is it your... Um, was it a uh, ESSEC, your Bachelor's of Business Administration? Yeah. So for me, it sounds like you, know, you wanted to be a, a businessman. Um, was that still the driving force during university? I noticed that you actually did. Um, was it two years? Was it internship at AIG, the big, the big worldwide insurer? Yes. Yeah, so it always was. So, so the, it actually, um, if, if you, you don't mind, I'll just take it a step yeah. back. Yeah, more. absolutely. Because in France, before you baccalaureate, you have to specialize. Yeah. Um, so usually the two years, you know, running up to your baccalaureate, you choose a specialization. So either yeah. business, either science or literature. Mm -hmm. um, and I was in, um, in a lycée at the time uh, that was very well ranked, yeah. uh, but didn't have the economic section. So I started in the scientific section, but I realized it was really not for me. And, and I actually wasn't very good at it. Um, so yeah. I had pretty bad grades. Um, I, I, wasn't in a good place at that time. And I really asked my parents to change to the this other, you know, lycée that yeah. wasn't as 
prestigious, but at least they had this economic section. Um, Interesting. And, you know, it was, it was a big battle with my parents and my dad, you know, I learned something mm. actually. So, so I just came back from three months doing my parents and I learned something about that point in time in my life. Yeah. Is that change, Lise, both your parents have to sign a document. Oh, wow. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and my dad didn't want to sign and my mom had to force him to sign. Interesting. Uh, Very interesting. He, yeah. So he really didn't want to. So, so that's when, you know, really kind of my interest for, you know, business and economics started. Um, I, I then did obviously my baccalaureate uh, in, in that uh, topic, yep. then went to school um, uh, at ESSEC. And, and as you've noticed, I, I then started straight away at AIG, the insurance company. Yeah. And I was very lucky to get uh, this. It was not really an internship. It was more like an apprenticeship. Yeah. Um, so at ESSEC, it's, it's a bit unique to that uh, university. They do apprenticeship for university students. So what you cool. do is you, you kind of work eight months um, a year, and then you have four months studying. Um, and the benefit of that is that obviously you get like a lot of exposure to the business yeah. world while you're studying, but also um, they pay for your studies and they pay you a, a small salary. So it allows you to also be financially independent uh, very early on. So I just say uh, the, the idea of the apprenticeship has been around for a very long time. It, it used to be, you know, the only way um, things were done mm-hmm. that you had to uh, apprentice. And um, no, it's, it sounds like a, a really interesting model that in, in my own um, experience going through university and that just really, it wasn't an option for, um, you know, it was an option for in plumbing and carpentry and all of, all of these other sort of areas where a little bit more hands-on perhaps, but in the more knowledge work areas like commerce, business and stuff like that, um, you know, we really just did a little internship here and there rather than, I guess, a longer structured apprenticeship. And, um, you know, a lot of these things, and a lot of, you know, what I've learned, particularly through my entrepreneurial journey is, you know, to get good at business, you know, businessman is a very broad term, that could mean a lot of different things. You've got to get good at accounting, finance, understanding languages, all of these sort of things, which are all things that we need to learn. Um, and therefore, a structured learning process like an apprenticeship where you're getting hands-on feedback and you maybe getting mentorship and all of these things can be a way potentially if it's structured really well to accelerate that. So did you find it a really good experience, the apprenticeship with AIG? Yes, I did. So what I thought was really interesting is that um, – because you get so immersed into one company, one experience, you're really able to one, learn a lot and a lot of mm-hmm. different things. Um, and then also you provide value for the company. So, so I've noticed this now that I'm running my business. It's always yeah. really hard when you get someone like on a summer internship and they do six weeks or two months with you. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to like train them up, onboard them, and then get them to you know, produce yeah, such something. such a short meaningful. period of time, isn't it? Exactly. Really, in, exactly. in the scheme of things. Exactly. And I think the apprenticeship was actually really kind of uh, changing that and, and allowing you to actually have a little bit more time um, to, to immerse yourself in, in the company's culture and what they do, learn a bit more about it, and then start really providing value. Fantastic. And so, you know, the, the next step, and it sounds like it was quite a, a logical one for you in terms, of, in terms of moving to London, you're already very international in your exposure and your experience. But I think was it, um, so we were on campus at the same time, 2010, 2011. I was doing a master's, I'm a bit older, so I was doing a master's <laughs> of business administration at that point to, to change into finance. And you were doing the new um, 
was it the MIM program, um, yeah, Masters, Masters in Management. Exactly. And that was designed for people straight out of doing their bachelor's to do a, a high level master's degree. And what was the, what was the, the drive and what was the thought process behind getting this additional qualification before, uh, you know, moving into the workforce? Yeah. So that's a really good question. I think, um, first of all, maybe like to give a little bit of context. Yeah. Um, so in France, I mean, in Europe in general, but, um, you know, in France, uh, very particularly, uh, people like diplomas. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and when you don't have a master's, it's almost like you don't have anything. So yep. you will start at a lower level if you have a bachelor's um, than you would do with a master's. So it was almost like a, a very logical step for me to do that extra year. Um, and in some cases, even two years, just to get yep. extra level and be able to um, aspire to, you know, more ambitious uh, type of work and jobs, right? Better, so better job, job better company, up. better, better opportunities, I guess. Exactly, exactly. So I think that that was, you know, one of the drivers. Um, I think the only one is I also really wanted to experience like um, an Anglo-Saxon uh, type yep. education, which is a lot more practical um, and very different to what you get in, uh, in France and continental Europe in general, which is a bit more theoretical in the way yep. they teach. Um, so that was something that I was really interested in. Um, and, and obviously also like being in an English speaking country. Um, I mean, I wasn't, I was born in Canada, but you know, that was a very long time ago and I wasn't French. Yeah. So I, I thought like, you know, if you want to do business internationally, having exposure, uh, to, uh, an English speaking, uh, culture, country, um, and also education, um, would, would be very helpful. So that, that was, uh, ultimately the driver. To go to London. Yeah, got you. So, consistently building on this uh, this theme of, uh, of of international businessmen, I guess. And in terms of London Business School, um, you know, could you describe a little bit, you know, your experience and I guess the um, the value you got, and I guess the key lessons yeah. you learned through that experience, but also, um, you know, how early on in that did you know that you wanted to move into consulting after that or were you looking at different options um, while you're going through that experience? Yes. So, I mean, really good question. Um, let me think about this. So when I joined LBS, um, I, so, you know, in the application, they ask you what you want to do afterwards. Yeah. You could have a, a pretty good plan <laughs> down on paper. Yeah, yeah, you need to have a pretty good plan. So it <laughs> goes out the window is... for a lot of people early, but <laughs> you got to have Completely. something solid down. Um, <laughs> um, but my plan A was, uh, was consulting. Um, yeah. So I, I wanted to go into consulting. And the funny thing is that throughout my bachelor's, I wanted to go into finance, but that changed just um, when I graduated. Um, and really why it changed is that there are a few things happened at that time. So it was um, right after the financial crisis. Yeah. Uh, so I think finance was not as cool anymore. <laughs> it lost uh, its sheen. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, I, I always uh, wanted, I always see business as a force of good. So I wanted to use, you know, my business skills to, to do good in the world. Um, and I felt that consulting uh, in the way it was kind of presented to me, uh, is that you were uh, kind of a business doctor. You come in yeah. and you, you you see what's not you know going right. You apply kind of learnings and knowledge that you've seen in other industries, other places, and just help uh, companies get better, yeah. which is something I thought was really interesting. And as a graduate, you get to travel, you get to see a lot of different businesses, a lot of different yeah. industries. So it's, it, 
it felt like a very good fit for uh, a career start. Um, but then my plan B was, uh, I, I remember an interview was entrepreneurship. Yeah. Um, it was because they, they always ask you like, what if you don't get into consulting? Because that's a very high likelihood. Yeah. I mean, it didn't seem to me at the time. Very competitive. Very likely that you're not going to get it. So, um, so the alternative was building my own business. So I think yeah. I, I always had this kind of willingness to build a business, but in my plan, it was always like first like a career and then build a business when you already know what uh, building a business or you know, working in a business means. Yeah, I got you. And was it as well, you know, that you obviously didn't have an idea particularly to run with then, um, but also I know, obviously quite important often for people, um, particularly when they've been studying for a long time, as you said, you had kind of a paid apprenticeship, but often I know young people are um, just keen to get out in the workforce and earn some money and, mm. and get some freedom and get their own apartment and all of these things. So was, you know, the, I guess the money and the safety and things like that um, as well, uh, drivers at that stage. You mean drivers for, you know, for getting pursuing consulting? Yeah. I mean, it, it always is like, you want to earn money uh, or a decent living with what you do. So, so that was always part of the, the package. And I guess, you know, the offer I got for, for consulting when I, when I got the offer was, was very attractive. Um, you know, you get like a very nice salary, you get a company car, like, you know, a lot of those benefits. That, All the that's, perks. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, so that, <laughs> that definitely got me excited. Um Obviously, I mean, we can go into it a little bit later, but, um, you know, I realized that this didn't bring me any joy, you know, yep. with hindsight, <laughs> but that's, that's no, very, very similar to my, my experience <laughs> as well. You know, I think it was, uh, there's a lot of competition for these really good roles um, on campus and, you know, basically a herd mentality, everybody's saying, this is a really good idea. This is what you want to get. So you get competitive, you start thinking, oh, I might be able to get this. You start focusing on it a lot. Um, and then these the companies obviously offer, you know, as well as really good career paths, um, they do offer all of these, the little perks and the, <laughs> the cars and sign-on bonus, uh, particularly in, in finance as well, which if you're a little bit on the fence, you know, might just be enough to kind of uh, get, get you over it. And so I think you're sounding very similar to me. It was when you um, actually started working as a consultant and you started experiencing it for real, was there a, a difference really in your mind between what you thought it might have been in terms of an experience um, at during uh, London Business School and then what the actual experience was, you know, one year or more sort of into it? Yes. I mean, it was completely different than what I expected. So I thought uh, I expected it to be like a lot of meetings, a lot of, you know, very entrepreneurial in the way yeah. you run things. Uh, and, and what you end up doing as a consultant is, is you end up being like uh, just doing Excel spreadsheets and PowerPoints. Yeah. And I think you know, there's a running joke when you, when you are, uh, you know, talking to like business grads a year out, it's like, okay, um, you know, finance people, you, you yeah. work only on Excel and we in consulting, at least we have PowerPoint as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, in finance as well, they were the, t the tools of the trade. Yeah. You just spent a lot of time in uh in spreadsheets a lot of times back microsoft back then wasn't it in excel and um doing powerpoint presentations and, and jumping between the two and i think i think that was the same for me i think the the long term 
what it would have been like to be a senior consultant um, when you have a number of junior people working for you and you're more on planes and traveling around and, and wheeling and dealing. But um, I think as I said, it's, you know, people really have to get comfortable with what they, what the reality is actually going to be within the first Mm -hmm. few years, because it's really only those that can get really comfortable with that reality and can really actually even enjoy it and thrive in that environment Mm -hmm that are likely to become those senior people and the the rest um, move on to different things. And so for you, when, you know, was it pretty much straight away that you, you started getting an inclination that, um, you know, the, the entrepreneurial path might be a better fit for you. So it wasn't straight away that I thought about that, but I knew uh, straight away that this wasn't what I wanted to do. And I remember calling my dad, um, I think it was one weekend or two weeks in my really? <laughs> um, my first project. And and I was telling him, like, I, I just don't want to do this. I don't think this is what I want to do. Yeah. And he, he mentioned, like, yeah, I understand that. But, you know, you work really hard for this. Yeah. Um, and finally, you get it. I mean, it's, you know, you're lucky it's a project-based thing. So how about you finish this project, get to the next yeah. project, see how it goes. Um, and, you know, do one or two years. And then you can give it a bit of time. Yeah. Exactly. Which I thought was really good advice because, you know, you work so hard, you get there. And then if you just, you know, leave from the beginning, it means that you, you haven't even tried. No, it, uh, it is good advice. From the beginning, yeah, it, it was like kind of from the beginning that I didn't know. I remember this very, uh, I had this physical feeling where um, I think it was the first day. Yeah. Where at the end of the day, my ass was hurting because I sat for so long <laughs> and I, I wasn't used for sitting for so long because when you're a student, you never do that. You always no, kind of stand yeah, moving up, around different places, new things. And, um, and, and, you know, that's the time I was like, Oh my God, I mean, is that really going to be my life? I, I don't want that. Yeah. I think, I, I think I found the same in finance, you know, at this stage, it just, it just wasn't dynamic enough. It was just, you know, there wasn't even enough internal meeting. It was just too much sitting in front um, of the screen, reading documents, doing spreadsheets, etc. cetera. Um, it might be um, fantastic for some people, but for me personally, yeah. As an engineer, it was quite it was quite a beforehand. It was quite a dynamic role, a project engineer, traveling, doing lots of different things, and managing teams and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I found found it a little bit a bit stifling as well. But I know um, I think it's it's Jack Ma, Ma right, uh, Alibaba founder. You know, I think he said um, one of the best bits of advice he got was I think from his principal at school. He said, "Look, Jack, you know you're super smart, super bright. Um, you know, do one. Promise me one thing." <laughs> he goes, and he goes, "Will you promise?" And Jack's like, "Oh, I guess so." He goes, "Okay, whatever you you know you're moving into become a teacher because I think in China you had to stay on a particular career path. So he was moving into that area, and he said, "Whatever you do, just stick with what you're doing for five years." Um, so, you know, learn to enjoy what you're doing, learn to thrive, um, learn to be really good at that. And then he said, go on and do whatever you want. So I think there is, there is wisdom in that, in that principle. And you know, you've just got to find the right balance for yourself, but you do need to find, um, somewhere if you have made a mistake, you know, probably good to try write that, um, as soon as possible as well. Um, uh, but you do particularly early in your career, you know, and the same with the apprenticeship, you know, if you try do five different apprenticeships, you won't be a master at anything, you know, at some point early on, you want to build up a core set of skills, et cetera, um, that you can then hopefully if you're building up transferable skills, then easily, uh, move. So no, I can definitely, I can definitely, um, 
relate to that. So in terms of uh, you worked out then that early on, maybe not the right thing for you. What were the seeds um, that, that led to um, your start as an entrepreneur? So that's funny. So I think it's, it's always like that when you do something that you're not, you don't really enjoy or you're not, um, yeah, you don't feel it's for you. Well, usually mm-hmm. you're not very good at it. <laughs> so yeah. I, I then ended up like a, an extremely good consultant. <laughs> um, so I think the moment when I started really thinking about it is that you're supposed to get promotions quite regularly. And then yeah. one cycle, I didn't get a promotion when you know I was supposed to get a promotion. And I thought, you know what? If, if I have to do this again for like six months and, you know, I could have made it work somehow, yeah. but it would have taken a lot of time. And I like, do I really want to do this? I don't think so. So yeah. maybe I'll just cut my losses um, and, and move on to do something else. And at that time, I didn't even know that I wanted to become an entrepreneur. Um, yeah. I just thought I'll just do something else uh, than that. Or, you know, even like another company, no idea. Yeah. Um, so that's when I kind of started moving away and, and entrepreneurship very naturally came because um, I had a few friends. So yeah. I remember at the time very vividly, I had one friend who, you know, we spoke to while we were in, at uni a lot. And yeah. he, I, he always struck me because he always wanted to become a founder. Um, and, you know, he didn't get caught up into that uh, herd mentality and FOMO of everybody applying to consulting or banking yeah. or even industry afterwards. He always was very chilled and said, like, I, I just want to be, you know, create my own business. And, yeah. you know, that's the only thing I'm going to do. And I'm not I'm not bothered about anything else. Um, and at the time, I just it's not that I didn't get it, but, you know, I, I, I didn't realize, you know, what he meant. And I think, you know, I in hindsight, I really respected his, um, his kind of drive to do that. And, yeah. and, and I remember always like kind of looking up to him because he, he was building this, um, it was, it's, it's a company called Le Cab and it was in Paris and it's, uh, it's almost like an Uber. Ah, uh-huh, yeah. No, I've, I've heard of Le Cab. I think he won an award at yeah. London business school. Did he not? I remember, I remember seeing him yeah, receive sure that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he did. And, and, and I think that that's something where I realized I was like, okay, he's after two years in, he's already changing people's lives. Yeah. Um, in that he's built the business that makes life of Parisians a lot yeah. easier. Yeah. Um, what have I done? I have done nothing. I've just been a consultant. Yeah. Um, so that's when I thought like, if I really want to have impact and, and I don't know if you remember, like I, I see like business as a force for goods as, as a yeah. way to like have impact on people's lives. Um, and I thought consulting would help me do that, but it didn't. Um, and then I realized that, you know, probably mm. consulting, uh, sorry, uh, entrepreneurship was something that would help me uh, yeah. do it. I experienced that lack of purpose in, in finance as well. I've heard a purpose described, I think it was by Professor Dan Cable, maybe at London Business School. Um, but it's the, uh, it's the impact you have on other people, but it's the ability to experience that impact on other people. Um, and so often I often describe this to people in this respect, you know, you could be an Elon Musk or something that you have this, this really big impact in terms of Tesla cars and stuff like that. But if you're removed, if you're not seeing the smiles on people's faces, you're not seeing the improvements in their life, or if you, you know, if you, if it's all about shipping people to Mars and you, it's really hard to actually see, you know, the impact that you're having on people, you, you can you can easily end up with a lack of purpose but for instance a mother you know raising a child mm. every day 
they're seeing having this massive impact you know it's everything they do is life-changing or life-saving um you know in terms of nurturing the child and, and growing it etc and you're getting that feedback constantly the smiles you know the joy all mm. of these sorts of different things and so you know it just goes to show that it doesn't always have to be you know the big role or a big you know shiny <laughs> kind of thing it's about this human connection with you know having a big important impact and then also just being able to experience it so i know for companies you know if somebody's designing tires or something like that you know they should get them out and meet the customers uh, sometimes so yeah. that they can they can find more purpose in their work so i definitely definitely uh relate to that as well maybe I, if i can just add something to this yeah, i think please. i think this is like spot on um actually um i i remember um so, so, so I really remember like one time when I really felt very good is I, I was in this event and um, it was, you know, random events. People organized it, was around the table when we were still able to meet in person. <laughs> and, yeah. and the facilitator was just like asking everyone to introduce themselves. Um, and, and when I started introducing myself, I was like, oh, I'm the founder of the salon. Um, I was like, oh yeah, I use the salon. I, I love your service. I was like, what? <laughs> this is great. <laughs> um, that was one thing. And then the other thing I do on a regular basis is I actually call up my customers um fantastic I mean, I used to do that a lot more when we were smaller you know yep. you just call calling them. now it's it's a little bit more organized so i, I would email them and schedule like a time to speak but yep. i i really enjoy speaking to my customers and understand what we do for them um on yeah a daily basis. fantastic and that's really what drives you as a founder you know people uh you know business really is all about people isn't it you know in terms of we can overcomplicate it, can have all these fancy technologies and things like that. But it's, you know, in, as you describe, it's really, in many respects, just people, people helping people. Um, yes. And, you know, the more you can experience the help that you're giving to other people, um, the more you'll derive purpose and that from what you're doing. And therefore, the more easy you'll, you'll find it to, to serve and to do better in your work, to enjoy it more, uh, et cetera, as well. So, no, I, I really, really relate. And, in terms of the entrepreneurial journey, then you saw you had this, I guess, uh, a another founder who was kind of in, in many respects a couple of steps ahead of you, leading the yes. way a little bit, um, and somebody that you knew and relate to. You know, did your what came first? Was it? Um, it sounds like you know you, the desire to be an entrepreneur came first, but then was it the idea or the team? And I know we then um, were. Uh, part of the London Business School incubator together in 2014 and 15. So yeah, what 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 came first, the chicken chicken or the egg? <laughs> the first entrepreneurship and then the idea. So what I've done is I, I left consulting, yeah, and I went almost like on a entrepreneurship journey. Mm-hmm. So I've um, so so at the time my so my friend Ben, uh, yeah. running the cap, his brother. Antoine was also looking to uh, create a business. Yeah. Um, so he connected us and we started just exchanging ideas together. Cool. Uh, and what, uh, what he was going to do is he was going to meet a friend in the Silicon Valley. Um, and, and I decided to tag along. Um, so he invited me to tag along and, and I, we just went uh, there Great and started experiencing. Yeah, exactly. Just experiencing what it is to be out there. Um going to meetups, meeting people, just trying to understand uh, what it means to be in a, in a, at, the, at the heart of it. Yeah. Um, then when I came back, you know, we're in London, 
we we started like you know obviously like sharing uh ideas and exchanging being in very close path together the two of us but ultimately we ended up being interested in different things yeah um and and how i came to the salon is that you know a lot of the things that they tell you when you want to create a business is to look for problems that you've experienced yeah uh, that you think other people would experience too and yep. I think that's how I got to uh, Le Salon as a business, uh, because as a consultant, I always uh, found it very difficult to just mm-hmm. get like treatments, like a massage, a haircut. Yep. Um, and, and in our consulting office, we always had like numbers that we shared, you know, yep. with each other. So I had like a driver that was recommended to me by another consultant. I had a cleaner yep. that was recommended to me by another consultant. Um, same, I had a hairdresser, massage therapist that would come to my house on Sundays yep. uh, because it just was difficult when you work super long hours to find a slot in the salon. Yeah. Um, so that's how I, I remembered. I was like, oh, this was like quite a big pain point. Um, it was the time where Uber, Uber started to becoming very big, uh, Deliveroo. So all the gig on demand economy uh, yep. were really picking up. So I thought, there's probably an opportunity there. Um, and, and that's how I started going to that direction. I like that. So personal personal pain point and then obviously looking to see if this is a, a, you know, a, a need or a problem in, in the broader market and the fact that yes. um, other companies were jumping in and solving similar problems but in different areas in terms of the services. I remember, um, you know, and as we did it with our baby wear as well, that, you know, busy professionals and running around, you know, yeah. don't have much time to go into a shop and buy a baby wear yes. present, you know, et cetera. So to be able to get that online, to do it quickly, to have a trusted provider where they can just say, you know, they can touch their app and it could just be boom, it'll be booked in. In, in your case, they can stay at home or in the office or et cetera um, to get their beauty work done. Um, you know, we're all would like to have more time for you know all the different things in life. And so it just, just really helps with that. And so, yeah, you, you came then to the idea. Um, and at what point did you partner up um, with, was it your first co-founder, Natasha? Um, and at what, yeah. what stage was that relative to the incubator? So it, it was quite a long journey before I got there. I, I, I met with a few different people that I want to partner mm-hmm. up with, but then ultimately yep. it didn't work out. Um, and then when I met Natasha, it was, it was a, a common friend that introduced us. Yeah. Um, so I was talking to this, uh, this guy and, and he was running a marketplace for tutors. Yeah. Um, so I was asking advice about how, how do you build a marketplace? Um, and when I was kind of explaining my ideas, he, he thought of a friend of his. He was like, oh, I heard this recently yeah. at a dinner. Um, let me introduce you to Natasha. She's, you know, thinking about the same thing and, and you guys should just exchange ideas. Um, so we met for the first time uh, around lunch. Uh, just next yeah. to LBS, uh, very guarded because I you know when you start your first business, you always think your idea is, is gold. Yeah, uh, uh, learn very quickly that it's not. <laughs> yep, <laughs> no, I've experienced uh, that twice in entrepreneurship. Where, yeah, yes. You want to be secretive and you need to do the exact opposite, really. <laughs> exactly. So, so we started like exchanging. We realized that you know we 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 were approaching the same problem, we were attacking the same problem. Yeah, uh, but what I really awesome. liked, um about uh, Natasha is that she was looking at it from a different angle. So I looked at it really much from a consumer making life easier for consumers and the technology perspective. Yeah. 
she obviously also saw that um, as a woman and the mother of uh, young children, she definitely yeah. experienced that at some point. Yeah. But um, she was also very passionate about um, the therapist. Yeah. Uh, because she just got uh, children um, and she realized how hard it was when you got kids to go back to work as a yeah. woman. Um, she felt that they, you know, for therapists, it is even more difficult. Um, and she felt that, you know, a platform or a marketplace would help them work flexibly and autonomously around their personal needs. Fantastic. Um, which, is, which is something I, I felt, you know, obviously very passionate about too. But she, you know, her bringing it up and her always keeping that in mind uh, was very important to us. And I think, you know, throughout the growth of the company, I always call her the guardian of our vision. Yeah, our fantastic. She's always thinking about the therapist first and how can we help them and how do we make it work for them uh, in their life. That sounds um, sounds like a perfect was, fit. Yeah, no, it was it was a very good fit. Um, um, and also in terms of personality, we're very different. Um, we bring very different skill set to the table. So so I think like um, I, I probably wouldn't have been able to do it with someone else than Natasha because uh, of you know my personality and her personality. She was able to like. Um, she's very like kind of relaxed and 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 uh, and diplomatic, when yeah. I'm more like kind of explosive and, <laughs> and, and aggressive sometimes. And and I think you know someone else probably wouldn't have been able to deal with me <laughs> in the way she has. So so I'm really grateful for that. <laughs> no, it sounds like it sounds like a really good fit. And as you said, well, I guess the you know the analogy for people that are just getting to understand La Salon as a as a business is something like you know Uber, where you have both the people riding the cars, but then you have the the drivers as well. And and your business um, you know, in many respects really has two two customers or two groups mm-hmm. of people um, that you're wanting to serve and you're helping them uh, in many respects to serve, uh, serve each other. So it's um, when you've got those two different groups, it can be hard to, um, it's hard enough as an entrepreneur um, to consistently get in your customers' shoes. And as you described calling them, doing whatever you can. This is where actually social media is quite helpful. I, I see a lot of entrepreneurs outsourcing their social media early on, but it's one of the best ways to understand your audience and your customer and where they overlap because you'll see what posts work and what posts don't work. And through that, you're getting feedback about what these people are interested in, what their fears are, their frustrations, their hopes, wants, aspirations, uh, etc. cetera. Um, so it can be hard enough to you know, get good at social media for a particular audience, uh, hard enough to constantly get in the shoes to understand your customer base, et cetera. But when you've got a platform with two potentially quite different groups, uh, and obviously you're working in the intersection between the two, it can obviously be very helpful to have um, two people within the business that one mm-hmm. you know, is constantly thinking in terms of one shoes, the other is constantly thinking the others. And obviously, you know, through your partnership and com- good communication and meetings and other different structures and that um, you're constantly finding, I guess, the synergies um, and opportunities and challenges um, between the two. So it sounds like a really good fit. Yes, no, definitely. I agree with that. Um, and I thought that really helped us get to where we are now. And so in terms of the early days, how, um, how helpful was the London Business School Incubator? So just to, I'll give an overview. It's just a, a one-year program where we got provided some office space and some free services. We got Landor, which was a you know, top international branding agency to help us um, with some of our things, other services and that. Um, and we got a lady, uh, Jane Kader from the school, who is a very, an entrepreneur herself, a very dynamic lady. And she held, I think it was like, 
you know, monthly meetings with all of the founders and stuff like that. Um, so it was this quite structured program. How did you guys find it? How, you know, how helpful or important was that um, for, um, I guess, starting the seller? I think it was, it was really important. It was really helpful for us. Um, just first of all, because of the process of applying. Because when yeah. I met Natasha, um, I was in the process of applying myself on my own. And what we've decided to do is we decided mm. to partner because we both had, you know, two separate projects at the time. Yeah. So we were two separate entities. Um, and we decided to work together on the application. Yeah. And if the application was successful, then it would be like a mm. good sign that we are able yeah. to work together. But I think like yeah. just with that process, it helped us come together and work together on defining what LaSalle will become. Um, so that was the first step. And then I think um, continuing throughout that year, I think, you know, what, what they've done really well is they give um, office space for startups. Yeah. And, and I think the main challenge that you have when you start a business is that you don't, you don't really know where to start. Yeah. Uh, but having that structure of, you know, going to an office every day and, and being there and present and having other people do it at the same yeah. time, I thought was really helpful for us to start, you know, putting the structure together of what would be our business. Um, and then, and then, uh, you know, the network, the people you meet, like you um, and, and, you know, Akin, your co-founder, uh, they were like yeah. some other guys who were doing like a, an on-demand laundry service. We shared a lot of uh, advice with them. Yeah. Um, so, so I think, you know, these connections really help make the experience that you have um, you know, a, a lot stronger. So I think that w- there was definitely a lot of value and I would recommend anyone who is starting a first business to consider either an incubator or an accelerator. Um, they're two different things. So incubator is usually a bit more hands-off. So yep. as you mentioned, you an incubator is a, a year program. Um, they would have monthly catch-ups um, and give you like a few partners that can help you. But, yep. you know, you're mostly left on your own. Whereas an accelerator is usually a little bit shorter in terms of time. It's three months. 12 weeks uh, yep. is kind of standard um, and they would have like daily sessions and they would really coach you throughout those 12 weeks um, to towards a pitch day at the end to yep. help raise money. Yeah. And these things, you know, the, you know, the incubator at that stage was relatively new and accelerators have become, you know, bigger and bigger. Um, they're now, a lot of institutions really in the in the area of uh, entrepreneurship. So you, you did the London Business School Incubator. Um, how long after was it that you did, uh, you were involved in an accelerator as well? So it was right after. So when we graduated from it, we got accepted into an accelerator called Ignite 100. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were running 12 month uh, programs um, and we thought, it would be really helpful for us to just, you know, have this structure and, and build towards yeah. um, this pitch day. So, so learning all these more startupy things, because I think as a, as a, as a consultant, ex-consultant and, and business school graduates, you're very almost corporate in your approach. Yeah. Um, and the accelerator really helped us become a startup. Fantastic. So you, you had these kind of support systems, which were really great. What, what did you find were the biggest challenges about these kind of early years moving into entrepreneurship? So, I mean, now I'm, I'm kind of looking back and thinking about it. I think, um, what, what were the main challenges? Um, I mean, one of them, I, I think, is that you get a lot of um, 
you know, different type of advice, conflicting yeah. type of advice. So, you know, a lot of people tell you, do this, you have to do that and you have to do that. And it, it's really hard when you haven't done it before to know which one is relevant, which one is not. And you start yeah. chasing a lot of different things. Yeah. And I think you move from an environment of um, almost scarcity of opportunities to yeah. abundance of opportunities. And, and as an entrepreneur, you're, you're wired to chase every opportunity. Yeah. So you end up being very unfocused in your approach, yeah. um, which I think is, is very detrimental to you as a business because that's what makes a good startup is when they are very focused and ruthless in what they're yeah. doing. Um, so I think that, you know, looking back, that, that is probably one of the things that I, I felt was, uh, was difficult at the beginning. Um, any, anything else? I think, you know, just managing people, working with people, um, you have to get that right very, very yeah. quickly. And usually in your career, if you start early, you haven't done that. I mean, I was just a, a junior consultant, so I never managed anyone. Yeah. Um, and I always worked, you know, in study groups uh, at uni. So I never had the experience of managing people. Um, and that's very, very different to, um, to just working with some other people. So I think, you know, some people are maybe more natural at it than others. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I have to like definitely learn that. And then I think uh, the other thing, maybe like almost, like the most uh, difficult one is just to be comfortable with uncertainty yeah you know throughout your life you especially if you have had like you know a, a formal education um yeah you, you have like this kind of career path there was always a sense of certainty in terms of what the next step is going to be yeah um there's always a plan but when you're an entrepreneur there is no i mean there is maybe a plan but it can be changed every day yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe you'll run out of cash in like 12 weeks and then you need to do so many things. And I think being comfortable with that uncertainty and not let it, you know, eat you alive is, 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 is challenging and something you have to learn to live with. Yeah. I think it's part of the, um, the part of, I guess, the, the allure um, for entrepreneurship as well. I think, you know, for me, I've, I kind of, as I've got more senior in my career or more senior in my life, um, I realized that, you know, I very much do need a level of uncertainty in different areas to find them enjoyable. Um, where, you know, as soon as I, you know, know exactly what the next steps are and exactly, you know, whether, and I found this in, in uh, my baby wear business, once the business was really becoming quite successful in the UK and it became a little bit clearer what the next steps were about how to grow that business, uh, a part of the interest um, disappeared with that because it had been really exciting. We, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know if we're going to be successful. All this, um, a little bit of uncertainty really helps uh, provide for interest and excitement and curiosity and all of these things. So I found in terms of goal setting and planning and visioning, et cetera, um, that as soon as you're finding that there's not enough of that. It's either some sort of change needs to happen. You need a plan. You need to think a bit bigger. You need to move in a different direction, et cetera, to keep that uncertainty. But it is important to know because you can't, you know, if you try to, you know, remove all of the uncertainty, if, if, if that's who you are as a person and you, you like to keep things dynamic and challenging and, and, and changing and adapting, um, you don't want to try and remove it all. So therefore you actually want to start 
really getting comfortable um, with the uncertainty that you do have. And obviously it's, it's one of those things you want to keep in balance. When you get too much, you start getting muddled, you start getting unclear, you're not sure what to do next, et cetera. Um, but when you've got too much certainty, you know exactly um, uh, what to do. Um, that also has its, has its own issues. So now I can definitely relate to all of those, particularly as well that the focus one, I think, um, as you said, when you're in entrepreneurship, when you're in a structured organization, it's like, do this project, do it this way, like people have done it before, mm-hmm. um, et cetera. It's very easy to focus. This is what I need to work on. This is what I need to do. It's the spreadsheet. It's, <laughs> it's the presentation. With entrepreneurship, often it's um, you're going into the unknown a bit. So it's very much, um, you know, what do you focus on? Um, and one of the big learnings for me was one, yeah, the importance of focusing, picking as you did it a particular customer, a particular problem and not trying to solve everything for, for everybody. But then because you're going into the unknown using a process of experimentation um, and using a systematic approach to try work out what you should focus on. Uh, because often, yeah. as you said, you know, you can get all the different advice, but um, if, you know, if your company was already created already, um, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. You're doing something new and different. So you've got to understand that it's super important um, to uh, get wisdom and guidance from other people. And that's particularly the case in areas, you know, lots of what you do as an entrepreneur is known. People have done that before. So it's about understanding a little bit the things that are well known and where you should just get good advice and, you know, accounting and just do it that way and do it. And there's other areas around understanding your customers and creating technology and other things where you're moving into the unknown and, and therefore you've got to rely um, on your intuition for your customer. You've got to rely on things like um, experimentation and science, which I guess ties, ties back to the science edge a little bit, but um, yeah, no, I can, I can definitely uh, relate to those sort of those three. So, because I think that, you know, a lot of founders, once you, once you're like kind of five, six years in, Mm. you yeah, like it. you have a very good idea of how you would do it differently <laughs> so how how would you do it differently joe michelle <laughs> <laughs> so i think the way i would do it differently is i would um focus on my users a lot more from yep. the very early days i think um i would use a very structured approach to yep. custom interviews that's something that we started implementing at Le Salon. We used like a method called, um, so it's jobs to be done mixed with yep. like a timeline switching interview. Yeah. So usually these are like kind of 20 to an hour interviews with your customers and you go through the timeline of yeah. how they discovered your product or even like when the problem, you know, they, when they experienced that problem for the first time, yeah. and when they found out about you, how they decided to book you and how has their journey been after that. You. So you can kind of that timeline. Yeah. And really have as much as talk to as many people as possible, but usually like 10, 20 people is enough. Yeah. Um, and then start to see patterns. And that's how you learn what you need to build. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, of, it's a journey that um, p- p- potential customers go on where it's kind of need identification and then, um, yes. you know, solution <laughs> identification and solution trial, uh, et cetera. But um, no, I really, I really like the idea of, as you said, getting structured in the way that you understand the journey these people are going because that's that's really how I see leadership often and entrepreneurship as well. Is you know 
you're trying to take people on a journey. You're trying to find people that are here at point A and, you know, you want to take them to point B, which is, yeah. you know, here they're not satisfied with, um, yeah. you know, the beauty treatment and or their beauty in particular areas um, and or how much time and money it costs to do it. Um, and then, you know, satisfied uh, customer over here. But it's not, you know, just a, it's not just that. It's a, it's a journey that they go on, uh, an emotional yeah, exactly. one, a logical and, and one, et cetera. That's really interesting because then after that, you can start designing your experiments because, mm-hmm. you know, everybody knows like you build a startup, it's going to be experiments. You're going to yeah. be very focused. You're going to run like it's the experiments. Um, but which ones do you run? Yeah. How do you, how do you decide what is yeah. the right one? Um, and, and what we did in the early days that we just had ideas and we started like putting in those ideas together and then started testing them almost like on a, you know, as a process. Yeah. But this is only based on your, you know, individual assumption and yeah. not what the customers want. So doing yeah. these interviews help you refocus your energy towards the things that really make a difference for you. Yeah, users. So for absolutely. Example, something that we did um, after those interviews is that we noticed that our customers valued, there's one thing they valued more than anything else is convenience. Yeah. Um, and convenience in the sense of I can do things at the same time. I can yep. fit it around my schedule. So, yep. you know, I, I can do so many things when I get my treatments at home. Yeah. But we always marketed the service as, you know, treat yourself, you know, yeah. take care of yourself, do this, do that. But never about, you know, this fits into your schedule. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when we started doing that, we really got better results in our marketing. We started nice. getting customers who were sticking more. So these, these improvements, um, because they come from your users, because you understand your users, yeah. they really help you build like a product that has a lot more value for them. Um, yeah. And it, it's, really a, like it's you know, an iteration. It just keeps building. Like the more you know, the better you will start fitting it in, inside their life. Yeah, it's just that, uh, like we were describing earlier, just that, um, you know, knowledge of the people that you're serving. I said you're serving two sets of people, um, the technicians and the the end customers. Um, and it's just the more you understand these people and you understand them, structured conversation, understanding the journey they're on, understanding what they like and engage with in terms of content um, as well. Um, these are all just tools for understanding people better and serving them better. And I think, you know, we can overcomplicate things. And I think we did over, you know, when I was getting involved with um, a babyware business, we did overcomplicate things. We overthought things and we kind of went down rabbit holes sometimes, like you were describing based around our own assumptions or the assumptions of us and our advisors, et cetera. And we're operating in these spaces and butting up our heads against the wall. And often that led to confrontation, you know, I think it's this way. And then I think it's this way. And then we didn't realize that, well, actually maybe the customer thinks it's a completely different way <laughs> if we, if we ask them. Um, and so, you know, we were kind of describing that earlier, you know, do you follow the advisor? And in many cases you should, but I guess the North star really is to, is to know who you're serving and then to ask them really how you can serve them better or use smart questioning techniques and profiling and that because, you know, the Steve, yeah, I, Steve Jobs answer is that people don't necessarily know on it, aren't necessarily able to um, verbalize um, the, the journey and the experience that they have had. So I think, I think Steve Jobs is put on this. 
um, is that people don't know what they want. And that's something that we noticed in, in uh, custom interviews. So if you say like, oh, how would you like this? They'll just come up with things and yeah. it's not going to be helpful. So the way we ask questions at Le Salon is that we ask for facts. Yeah. So instead of saying, how would you like it to do? It's like, how do you do it last time? How often yeah. do you do it? Yeah, you start asking you. for real yeah. data points. Um, and that's, that changes completely your approach to customer interviews. Yeah, a lot more uh, objective. Take away, exactly, it's subjective. And you take away the um, almost the, the customer's willingness to help you. Because yeah. what they would do is they always try to help you. So they would start thinking about things that yeah. they think are going to be helpful for you. And they're yeah. also going to start projecting in terms of like what they want them, their life to be or how they see themselves. Yeah. But if you start actually going back to what they really do, then that's that's how you are solving their life's problems. Yeah, I like it. And did you did you find um, I was tempted to ask this question, doing, but um, you know, I think one thing I've found with entrepreneurship is that um, early on, particularly, uh, I lacked patience. <laughs> you know, I always thought, you know, oh, we've got this great idea, we've got this great team, uh, great co-founder, all this sort of stuff. Stuff's going to happen really really quickly um and you know it's good to have that drive and want to move things and learn things but um i think one thing i've i've learned is that there just really is a lot to learn it takes a lot to of time and effort to understand a customer really deeply it takes a lifetime of effort to understand ourselves Mm. properly um and Mm. understanding a particular type of customer is that sort of philosophical in many respects inquiry um, where it's a lot of learning but then also as an entrepreneur you're learning marketing accounting finance fundraising all of these sorts of things as well and so i think that's one of my biggest pieces of advice i think that everybody can be an entrepreneur um, and the sort of freedom that it gives you and the ability to serve a particular customer and do whatever you want or whatever you can uh, to serve them. I think, you know, it's something that really just about everybody um, should aspire to. But I think where I see a lot of people go wrong is you don't create enough space or time for the entrepreneurial journey. And so if, if you're trying, if you've only got a year's worth of fundraising, you need to learn a certain amount to make a certain money to get to the next step. Um, that's the, where a lot of the, I found anyway, the stress in that came in, in the early years was we just weren't allowing ourselves enough time, um, to learn. Um, is that something you found as well? No, I, I definitely felt that. I think you, I think you're spot on. Um, it, it is difficult in the early days because there's so much to learn. Um, so you don't know where to start and it's all important, like understanding yep. customers that's important. Building a product, very important. Fundraising, very important. Yep. Building a team and culture, important. <laughs> so it's like, where do you start? Yeah, um, very important list. Everything, <laughs> not important list. Yeah, yeah, and they all like they all like almost equally important because if you don't do it right, you, you'll fail. Like if yeah. you don't have any money in the bank anymore, you fail. If your product doesn't work, you'll fail. If your team yeah. doesn't work together, you'll fail. Like it's it. They all <laughs> they all linked. So where yeah. do you start? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I guess the answer is like, you, you start with all of them at the same time and you try to figure yeah. it out as much as you can. Um, yeah. and that's why your second time founders or third time founders or your founders who have been doing this for like multiple years are usually more successful because they've had the time to build yeah. it. And I think, um, as, as a founder, just be kind to yourself. Yeah. It, it takes time. Everybody goes through that journey. It's, it's a journey. It takes, you know, it, 
it is a lot of hard work um and and always keeping that that open mind and that um curiosity yeah uh, i think is really important but it's also it also alludes to the fact that if you know if you know from a, a young age you do want to be an entrepreneur um start taking on experiences in different areas of life even if it's as an employee taking on responsibility ownership etc start skilling up early for the entrepreneurial journey it doesn't mean you have to take the plunge it doesn't mean you have to start your own business but start thinking like an owner and entrepreneur and then i think you know if you do allow plenty of time to skill up in all the different sort of areas we've been describing if you get good at understanding other people if you get good at staying focused on them if you get good at understanding marketing accounting finance branding etc all of these things that you know if you we do eventually become an entrepreneur you will need to understand and you will need to um, eventually master to some degree so the sooner you start the apprenticeship in some of these different areas um, the sooner you start the deliberate learning process um, by doing different things like incubators and, and accelerators are helpful there as well. Um, I think the more then when you finally take the plunge into entrepreneurship, um, the sooner you'll find uh, success. No, that, that's very true. And I think that's, that's really, really good advice. Um, I, I, I'm sure you got asked that a lot, but I got that as I was, was like, oh, I want to go into consulting before building a business. Um, is that going to help me? I'm sure you had the same with finance. You know, if I go to finance, is it going to help me become a founder? I'm like, well, maybe. Like, <laughs> if you are a consultant, it would teach you how to do an Excel model. And building a model is one of the things you'll need yep. to fundraise. Yep. But you know, nothing is going to teach you better how to run a business than to run a business. Yeah. Uh, so either you do that, or you join a startup, and then you'll yep. you'll learn like some of the things directly. How, yeah. how it's supposed to be done. Yeah, because if you're early in a team in a startup, you might be across a number of different areas of that business so you can yes. learn a bunch of different things. And by having a close relationship with the founders and other people, you will learn some of the other areas of the business, even if you're not directly focused on them as well. So, yeah, no, I think there are these sort of smart different things you can do. And I think I think another bit of advice I have around that as well is if you don't know your path yet, um, the more you focus on fundamentals, um, the more likely the things you are learning, the more likely it is that that's going to be relevant down the line. If you're focused on understanding people, connecting with mm. people, um, all of these things are key to marketing and branding and, and product development, et cetera. If you focus on these sort of fundamentals, you build up that core of what is needed for entrepreneurship, then you can learn, you know, the accounting and, and the, spreadsheet and stuff like that i find um you know as and when you need it and then you can be a kind of a more sniper approach when you need that skill you you do a quick course or you you get an expert you get an advisor or something like that and you go boom deep and, and you learn that thing um as and when you kind of need it i guess um well let's before we do that can you just give a little bit, I know you've done it already a little bit, just to bring a little bit more clarity to um, Le Salon and the services that it provides to people. Yeah, of course. Um, so Le Salon is um, an at-home beauty service. So what we do is we connect consumers with beauty therapists um, and those therapists will come to your house and provide services. So think about a manicure, a pedicure, a massage, um, waxing, so really kind of beauty therapy inside your house. 
and and the approach that we've taken in the in, in the first place is we've standardized the service that you receive so all the therapists that are on the platform have been tested they've been vetted they've been trained uh, they use certain products to ensure that the quality that you have as a user is yeah. you know standardized across the different therapists that you would get so that's how we started um and and that's kind of the business that we grew and and we've we've really built like a lot of kind of interesting technology yeah. around uh, matching the requests of our customers with our therapist um and ensuring that you know the marketplace runs very smoothly and can you give some indications um where you can in terms of you know is it the size of the team or the the size of the business presently and it's you're correct me if i'm wrong six years into into the business at the moment yeah of course so so we are a team of about 10 people uh working on this um so it's pretty evenly split between technology uh, operations and then strategy growth marketing so that's kind of the three uh splits in, inside the business yeah um we i mean obviously it's uh, it's COVID, so uh we we were not able to operate throughout uh lockdowns I mean, yeah. I know you're, you're in Australia, so you, you're very lucky you, you didn't have that many lockdowns, but, you know, we, we have been pretty uh, impacted by this um, and we have been able to operate normally since um, a year ago now. It's um, a long time. It's been a while. Yeah, a long time. Uh, but, you know, the, the kind of volumes, the size of the business before that was about um, 2 million in sales um, yeah. a year. Um, Fantastic. Platform. Um, and it was growing about 100 to 200% year on year. Um, so going, you know, fast enough. Uh, so, so it was, it was going well, uh, but obviously, you know, when you're not able to operate it, it does have an impact. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And you um, obviously with that time, you moved to remote work um, with the team that allowed yourself to go back to, to France um, for a little mm-hmm. while. Can you talk through, was it, was it really quite challenging to move um, from an office environment to a remote working environment? Well, I, I think, you know, when you're a startup, you, you're quite flexible. And, and luckily, we were very well set up for uh, remote working. Uh, we were definitely not, you know, remote working beforehand. Yeah. Uh, but it happened really from one day to another. So I, I remember it was a weekend where we, we told the team on Friday, you know, we might not come into the office on Monday. Just yeah. let's we'll keep you posted based on what the government says. And then on Sunday evening, we're like, okay guys no office next week and you know we don't know when and that was actually the moment where we became a remote company yep. so it really happened from one day to another and and because we we kind of a tech business we already had the infrastructure in place we just changed a few of the touch points that we had yep. created you know, stand up stand downs and um, have team meetings in a different way um, maybe like have a few different tools that we needed to like smooth out uh, that experience yeah it, it was actually quite quick to move from a, a, an office environment to a remote working environment. And, and, and I'll be completely honest, I, I wasn't really for remote working yeah. before the pandemic, um, but I, it turned out I really enjoyed it. Um, so I thought it was, it was actually a really good way of working. It, it allowed me to be very productive, very efficient. Um, and I felt the team uh, was producing some really high yeah. quality work uh, when they were at home. So, it, it really gave me a lot of confidence in, in that model, um, which is why we now um, have decided to to be kind of remote first uh, yep. company. 
for for the time being. Obviously, I think you know these, these are things that you know we'll, we'll keep in mind and and, and keep looking at because um, yeah. it's easy to have your team work from home when everybody's working from home. But when some people start going back to the office and then you know their friends are in the office and they're on their own at home, maybe that you know changes a little bit the dynamic. So yeah. we'll, we'll obviously assess this. Uh, but I I think that uh, I, I would like to make remote working work because I feel that it gives everybody in your business a lot more freedom. They can work yeah. from anywhere, as you said, I was in France for three months. Um, they can take care of a lot of other things in their life um, that you know, they might not have been able to do before. I think there was a, a survey of um, CEOs here in, in Australia, and I think a lot of them, the, the way they were seeing it was, I think a lot of them expressed similar thoughts to you, uh, that pre-COVID, um, you know, a lot of people weren't for it. Um, and a, a number of businesses, you know, for whatever reason, it just doesn't suit their business model or their leadership, uh, you know, will definitely are keen to go back to a direct um office environment but i think i think on average they were saying well typically they're looking more at a sort of a, a three or a four day uh work week uh in the office as a as a kind of i guess a hybrid approach where people are in there on on certain days and then and then not certain days so no, that's very interesting and i think just as um you know news of the minute is um the things opening up in the uk for you guys which is your which your primary market isn't it Yes, it is. Um, so things are opening up on uh, on Monday. So it's getting very close now. So <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, I mean, we were getting like inundated with bookings. So we, I think we almost booked out for the first week. Um, Excellent. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are booked out. Uh, so so no, it's 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 very positive. I think you know people are are very excited to go back out and 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 start you know resuming their life. Mm-hmm that they left uh, pre-pandemic. I, I don't think life would be the same. Um, and I, I think it will change, but I think it will change for the better. Um, I think you know, what we just talked about with remote working uh, is something that, you know, we probably didn't think about before. Um, I, I, I think that this is going to be like a, a brand new way of working, which is probably going to make the workplace a lot more um, equal, probably gender yeah. equal as well, um, just because it allows uh you to manage those uh, different tasks um, yep. and also share the burden within the household uh, for, uh, for, yeah. So just, yeah, uh, absolutely. I think my, my, fun. my previous guest um, was a, uh, a working, working mother. Uh, she has a, a co-office at home with her partner and they work in, in different areas, but t- between them, they've got four kids um, and, you know, she's mm. doing, doing a podcast, writing books, doing leadership coaching, all of these different things um, and making it work. So it's definitely, as you said, creating um, you know, a level playing field for a lot of different people. And I know, you know, myself personally having, um, you know, experienced building a team in an office with the baby wear business and now um, more doing lifestyle entrepreneurship where I'm spending a lot of time at home, but getting out meeting clients and stuff like that. You know, there are valuable aspects of the office in terms of socializing, sharing ideas, all of these sorts of things, building real relationships um, with people through shared activities and connection, et cetera. So yeah, I think you're exactly right. There's uh COVID's caused an acceleration um, of change in many different areas in line with people's wants and aspirations in their life and, and the opportunities that are available to them. I think we'll all just, we'll just find our post-COVID um, balance uh, afterwards, but excited to see you guys getting going. How can uh, people, uh, particularly, Rama, is it just the UK at the moment or are you in different markets yeah, so as well? 
Now, so it's in London. So if you are in London, if you want to book beauty treatment, go on lesalon.com. So it's L-E-S-A-L-O-N.com. Um, and, and you can book your treatment there. Uh, we also have an app on the app store. So if you type Le Salon, uh, you'll, you'll get it uh, shown up. Um, it's on iOS and Android. So, so yeah. We, we, we opened for everyone. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I highly, highly recommend LaSalle And thanks very much, John Michelle, for your time today, for, for sharing your career journey and uh, your, the wisdom that you gained along the way and, and success in entrepreneurship. My pleasure. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was, it was, a, it was great. So there you have it, guys and girls. If you enjoyed this episode, then please subscribe to the podcast and head over to cam-miller.com to sign up for my free weekly growth guide email. If you're really loving the podcast, please also share it with family and friends and leave a review on iTunes or whichever platform you might be listening on. I can't wait to share the next episode with you.